God, we thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for um, being with us always and for um, your deep and abiding love and care for us. May we show that same care that you show to us, to others around us in our community, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our world. And may this time that we spend together be a sweet time of learning more about each other and about you. Amen. <coughs> so we will actually have communion today. Yay. We have uh, elements from last week that we forgot to crack open. So <laughs> uh, we'll do that today. Um, so there's been something on my mind for a few weeks now since I had a... Um, particular experience on social media. And I have this general rule um, where I don't engage with, um, I just don't open the can of worms on social media when it comes to something that is posted or said that is um, anything from like horribly one of the isms like homophobic or racist or whatever to things that are you know, more mildly, um, like some of those things that have more like embedded or, or um, institutionalized examples of like racism or homophobic, you know, whatever. Um, and the reason for that is because I believe firmly that social media is not the place where people's minds are changed. Uh, I think that social media is the place where we become more entrenched in our views the more that we argue. Um, and so my, my belief is that if the goal is really to engage in dialogue that's going to help us grow and learn together and from each other, which for me, that is the goal when it comes to these big topics, that the best way to do that is not through, um, you know, jabbing at each other, because that's going to dig me deeper in. My heels are going to go into the ground and so are yours, but it's through dialogue. But the other day, I broke my rule, um, and it was, it was because it was something that sort of touched me in a tender place was the reason why I was, I, I'm on these like garage sale pages on Facebook where people can like sell stuff, you know, and um, someone, there was a woman there who was posting a piece of jewelry that she was selling um, and she had, you know, sort of an exclamation, explanation, excuse me, of um, the fact that she had found herself in a financial crisis and she was trying to sell whatever she could to, you know, pay for life, for her basic needs. And there was a comment from a youngish appearing man, um, something to the effect of, don't trust her, she's a scammer. She, look at her nails. She wouldn't have her nails done if she was in financial crisis. She's trying to steal your money. And that set me off <laughs> for a number of reasons. Um, and the tender part in me, just, to, just as my to be fully transparent, the tender part in me was that I spent four years as a single mom, very, very low income, um, and I felt so ashamed if I had anything that made it look like I was living beyond my means. Um, like, for example, um, I was on government assistance, so I had, you know, food stamps, they call it SNAP now, um, and I also had an iPhone. Now, if anyone were to argue with me, I could tell them the reason I had an iPhone was because Verizon actually paid me to have an iPhone. I got $20 over the course of two years for the gig, whereas if I had gotten a dumb phone, which is what I actually wanted, I would have had to pay them $100. So financially, I was actually making an astute 
decision. But I also know there are people out there when you see someone who's using food stamps and has an iPhone, there are judgments. There can be. Um, and so, so that kind of triggered me because I was like, you know what? I was a single parent and I was low income and I was sleeping on the floor instead of on a mattress because I didn't, couldn't afford a space big enough to have a bed. And I had my nails done like twice a year because there was a local church that put on a spa night for local women. So I didn't pay a cent, but every once in a while it felt good to not feel destitute. And so I, I just tried to say something sort of, um, I tried to be very respectful and calm and I said um, something to the effect of like, let's not make assumptions about you know their financial situation um, that basically what your nails look like doesn't indicate your financial <laughs> status. You know, it doesn't mean that you're being irresponsible. For all we know, she got her nails done last week when she was a millionaire and then something happened and now all her money's gone, right? And so I, I tried to be respectful and say something and this person got enraged, very, very angry and began attacking me and the first thing was, oh look, th she must be in on, th this Aaron person must be in on the scam. She must be your friend. She's gonna benefit from this too. And I was like, okay, <laughs> didn't expect that. Um, and we went back and forth a couple of times and I tried to explain how, you know, there are programs that assist people who are low income so that they can feel human, you know, that offer free haircuts and, you know, salon things and makeovers and nails and clothes and things like that. And that when I was a single parent, I shopped at thrift stores, but occasionally I would find something from a name brand that had its tags on and was brand new. So I paid $5 for that thing that was originally $250. Um, and how you can't really judge what their situation is based on the external appearance. But he wasn't having any of it, and I, I eventually just said, you know, I'm not going to argue about this. I was, um, you know, just trying to bring up a point that it's it can be hurtful to make assumptions about people, and we don't really know the story here. Um, and that has been in my mind since it happened. Um, and as I was thinking about it, one of the things I was realizing is that we do that a lot. We make assumptions about whether or so not someone has a need that they're expressing based on what we can see. Um, there is sort of this expectation that if someone says that they're in need in any way, shape, or form, like they, they're hungry, there's this expectation that they should look destitute, right? Like, I should be able to tell by looking at you that you're poor. You shouldn't have nice clothes, your clothes should be tattered, your nails should be grimy, it should look like you haven't showered in a week, you know, you should look like you haven't had dental work done, you know, you should appear destitute. Um, but the thing is, that's not the only excuse we make. We don't, we don't expect um, just for them to look destitute or completely dehumanized or to give up all vestiges of humanity, because I could also go into how I think it's silly to say that if someone gets their nails done, twice a year when they're poor, that that means that they're not using their funds appropriately or they're like scamming people because I think we all deserve humanity. But that's not the point today. Um, but we do other things too. Like we, we have these expectations that if you're going to ask for help, you have to look like you need it, right? You have to be able to prove to me that the reason you need help is not your fault. If you, you know, drank your money away, or if you made a poor decision about the person that you married, or if you invested in a stock that, you know, I don't know anything about stocks, so I don't know exactly what happens, but like, you know, you lost all your money in the stocks or something. That's your fault. You made that choice, so you don't deserve my help. 
or they should be able to prove to us that they're going to use our help in a way that we deem worthy, that we think is appropriate. That's really tricky because what I think is appropriate for the way that you use you know, money or funds or whatever that I give you might be different than someone else over there. But um, you know, I, I think of, for example, um, the homeless crisis in the cities and now things are, are getting colder and you know, there's that whole tent city and every time I pass by it every week um, on one of my weekly errands and every time I see it, I just think, what's gonna happen in winter? Um, you know, that, that there are, are people there. There's a whole group of people there, probably hundreds of people at this point, um, who are going to be cold, um, who don't have enough food, who don't have enough to keep them warm. And yet, you know, so, so people who appear, like people who are homeless do appear destitute, right? And maybe plenty of them can prove that they, that their being homeless is not their own fault, you know? Um, but how many times does someone say, or have you heard someone say, or have you thought to yourself, because I grew up hearing this, so I've thought it to myself, um, well, they're probably gonna spend the money on alcohol anyway. They're probably gonna blow the money, you know? Or they're just gonna go to McDonald's, it's not gonna last. Like, as though we expect that someone whose basic needs aren't being met should have, like, some cardboard box where they, like, save all of their money so that they can eventually, like, save a deposit for an apartment rather than the fact that you know if they were to save all their money then they're going to starve to death <laughs> you know and that those immediate needs need to be met first but um, there's this idea of like well if people are giving them money they should be able to save up and whatever we also um, oh boy I lost my notes we also expect people to have tried all possible solutions right like well did you uh, have you thought about getting a job no I bet they've never thought about that before that is a new idea you know have you have you stopped shopping there and tried this place instead? You know, what about that uh, soup kitchen? Have you gone there? They'll feed you. You know, and so we come up with all of these excuses for why we aren't responsible, or we shouldn't be responsible. I don't think it's uh, it's that we aren't responsible. I think Jesus says pretty clearly, as we'll see in a minute, that we are. But why we shouldn't be? Like there's this entitlement of like, no, you know what? I worked for where I am. Um, I made good choices. Now, that's a straw man argument, right? Like, there are a ton of people who have a lot of money who have made really poor choices. <laughs> um, you know, I, I use my money appropriately. I have a budget. Um, I can afford to get my nails done. You can't. You shouldn't. Um, and so we have all of these... Um, we have all these excuses. And then another one that I think we sometimes miss, uh, another excuse is that they have to be able to prove that they're worse off than us to be, to have any sort of um, claim on our compassion or our goodwill. Like, and I think this happens emotionally a lot. Like, oh, you had something painful just happen? Well, listen to what happened to me. You can't complain anymore. Oh, you're, you know, I don't know, your dad left you when you were 12? Well, I never had a dad at all. Or, um, you know, you... <laughs> You, you lost all your money last week when the stocks crashed. Well, I never had that money to begin with. Um, so we expect people to meet all of these requirements before we decide, you know what, this person is worthy of my help. And sometimes there are people who like meet all those requirements and then they are worthy of our help and then we use them as like an inspirational story, right? Like um, then they become 
objectified and dehumanized even further because now they're just an inspirational story about, look at this person, and they're used against all the others who maybe don't check the boxes. Well, this person got help. This person got my compassion and my goodwill and the right to have a level of humanity, as I judge, because they did these things. If you were like that, maybe you would deserve my compassion. Maybe you would deserve my goodwill. And, um, and I think that's, I don't think, I know <laughs> from reading the New Testament, that's completely opposite to what we see Jesus doing. Anytime someone comes to Jesus authentically seeking help, Jesus doesn't ask, well, how did you get here? Did you make a mistake? Jesus doesn't say, well, what are you going to do with this if I, if I help you? Are you worthy of my help? Instead, like some of the examples that I came up with um, or that I was looking at is, you know, when he was feeding the 5,000, there was a crowd of 5,000 hungry people. I guarantee you most of those people probably could afford their meal. They just didn't, hadn't prepared. But Jesus wasn't like, well, you didn't prepare. Shame on you. I guess you're going to skip a meal. He saw hungry people. He saw a need, and he filled it. Or the, the woman who's caught in adultery and is going to be stoned. Where's the man in that, first I say. Secondly, um, <laughs> secondly, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, well, you know, she made a poor choice. I guess she's got it coming. No. Jesus has compassion for this woman, despite the fact that if she did engage in adultery, and we don't really know, we don't know the story, um, or we don't know the background of the story that isn't included in the canon, right? Um, even if, if she did commit adultery, you know, she made that choice, right? She made, her, she made her bed. She should lie in it. No. That's not how Jesus works. Um, and so the passage that I, I was looking at that was sticking out to me um, is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And there was a lot of stuff in here that I'm going to have to just skate right on by because it's uh, enough for another day. But... Um, there's some good stuff about this in here. When the Son of Man comes in all his majesty, accompanied by throngs of heavenly messengers, I should add before this, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like, blah, 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 the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's doing parables. Um, his throne will be wondrous. All the nations will assemble before him, and he will judge them, distinguishing them from one another as a shepherd isolates the sheep from the goats. He will put some, the sheep, at his right hand, and some, the goats, at his left. Then the king will say to those to his right, Come here, you beloved, you people whom my father has blessed. Claim your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of creation. You shall be richly rewarded, for when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was alone as a stranger, and you welcomed me into your homes and into your lives. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you tended to my needs. I was in prison, and you comforted me. Even then, the righteous will not have achieved perfect understanding and will not recall these things. The righteous will say, Master, when did we find you hungry and give you food? When did we find you thirsty and slake your thirst? When did we find you a stranger and welcome you in or find you naked and clothe you? When did we find you sick and nurse you to health? When did we visit you when you were in prison? And the king will say, I tell you this. Whenever you saw a brother or a sister hungry or cold, whatever you did to the least of these, so you did to me. At that he will turn to those on his left, and the king will say, Get away from me, you despised people whom my father has cursed. 
claim your inheritance, the pits of flaming hell where the devil and his minions suffer. For I was starving and you left me with no food. When I was dry and thirsty, you left me to struggle with nothing to drink. When I was alone as a stranger, you turned away from me. When I was pitifully naked, you left me unclothed. When I was sick, you gave me no care. When I was in prison, you did not comfort me. And the unrighteous will say, Master, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? When did we see you friendless or homeless or excluded? When did we see you without clothes? When did we see you sick or in jail? When did we see you in distress and fail to respond? And the king will, the king will say, I tell you this, whenever you saw a br brother or sister hungry or cold, when you saw a brother or sister weak and without friends, when you saw the least of these and ignored their suffering, so you ignored me. So these, the goats, will go off to everlasting punishment, but the beloved, the sheep, the righteous, will go into everlasting life. So now there's an awful lot of stuff about like the afterlife and like hell and heaven and things like that that we're not going to get into. I'm just going to say it out loud. We're not going to touch that today. That's a, that's a, big, <laughs> a big question, and in fact, even between uh, Luke, Keenan, and I, we have very different representative beliefs about what the afterlife is and isn't, and I know even in the room we have a lot of different representatives of that, different beliefs. So we're not touching that. But I think, you know, the, the main point of this, what we see standing out is, um, is Jesus addressing the actions of the people who claim to be his. The people who claim to be Jesus followers, the people who claim to be righteous, the people who claim to be Christians, um, God followers, God lovers, and the way that they behaved. And some of them saw suffering and responded to it. They saw suffering and without questioning whether that suffer suffering was justified, whether that person had caused their own suffering, whether they could trust that they were going to use the person's response to suffering in an effective or appropriate manner. They saw suffering and they responded to it. No ifs, ands, or buts, no disclaimers, no asterisks. Those people who were suffering, who were hurting, did not have to prove anything. They didn't have to have an appropriate reason why they were suffering. They didn't have to prove that their suffering was worse than the righteous's suffering. They didn't have to prove that they were going to use the help that they received or the compassion they received, quote unquote, appropriately. The people who were unrighteous are the people who claimed to be Jesus followers, the people who claimed to love God and who claimed to represent God's love for all humanity on earth, because that's what we're called to. If we're Christ's followers, we are supposed to represent Christ on earth. We're supposed to um, continue Christ's mission to all people. And those people who claimed to be that, who claimed to do that, and yet turned a blind eye to suffering. And we don't know the reasons why. We don't know the reasons why they chose not to. Um, but I think it's interesting that in this story or this parable, the question that they give is, well, Jesus, you were never naked or hungry or thirsty or alone. That wasn't you. When did we turn our backs on you? Well, if, if we believe that... Um, you know, and some of us may believe this and some don't, but if we believe that Jesus was God divine, God on earth, God embodied in flesh, if we believe that Jesus was perfect or pure or flawless, 
then what they're saying is, we never saw someone perfect or pure or flawless who needed help. All we saw were flawed people, people who didn't deserve our help. But Jesus says that we all have God in us. We are all worthy of help. We are all worthy of love. We are all worthy of compassion. And so Jesus says, anytime you saw a flawed human who was suffering and you turned your back to them, you turned your eye away from them, you were turning your back and your eye away from me. What we don't hear is um, Jesus saying some of the things that I think that we can um, infer. I think another way that Jesus could, could speak here is for when I was starving, you asked me why I didn't get a job. When I was cold, you asked me if I tried that homeless shelter down the street. When I was destitute, you asked me where all my money had gone. Had I made poor choices? When I was hungry, you asked what I was going to do with that $5 you might give me. I think this, for me, is one of the most truly terrifying passages of the Bible because it is so easy to make excuses for why I don't help the people I see who are suffering and who need help. It is so easy. Um, and sometimes it's because I have these thoughts in my head that have been ingrained in me, like that you know, the homeless person who's panhandling is probably going to spend their money on alcohol. That's one I heard a lot growing up. But sometimes it's because I think, yeah, you know, I'm saving up for, you know, a house. Right now, Tom and I are saving up for a house. We're saving up for a, a down payment for a house. I don't know if I can spare that. I don't know if I can spare a little bit of money to help right now. And in a way, I have to... I have to realize, I have to recognize that me saying that means that to a degree I'm saying that me getting a house trumps or is more important than someone else having a full belly. Um, and I think that that is a pretty sobering thought. Um, and so the question that I've been asking myself um, that I tried to ask this very angry young gentleman on <laughs> Facebook, but that I have since turned inward and have been asking myself. Um, and the question that I think that we need to, to really consider is what is the price take on our compassion? What's the cost? What do we expect people to pay to deserve our compassion? Do we expect them to pay their humanity, their dignity, do we expect them to um, grovel? Or when we see or and we hear suffering, and as you and I both know, there is a ton of suffering in the world. There is no shortage of suffering to address. Do we respond? I am, um, you know, I didn't. I wonder if I can find it. There is, um, 
I'm going to try to find something quick that I wish I would have bookmarked and I didn't. Um, but I saw this, this quote that I thought was really um, incredible um, and really highlighted for me sort of what this means. Um, and um, I think one of the reasons, for me at least, and I imagine others can, can sort of um, commiserate's not the word I want, like relate, Some I think others can relate to this too, is that sometimes it feels pretty overwhelming, the, the pain and the suffering in the world. And it feels like if I were to really take this seriously, and if I were to really um, take this to heart and respond to the suffering that I see, then there would be no end. And that feels pretty daunting. Like, that feels like a lot. Um, and the reality is that none of us can address all of the suffering in the world. It's just not feasible. Oh, gosh, I wonder if I can find it. Um, and I saw this quote, and it looks like I'm not going to be able to find it, so I'm going to just do my best here. And maybe some of you have seen it, but I've seen a couple of people post it on Facebook recently. I thought I screenshotted it, but I guess not. Um, and it was something to the effect of, um, you are not responsible to relieve all of the suffering of the world, but neither are you free to ignore it. Um, boy, I, that was not nearly as good as it was. So you'll have to, I'll have to, um, how about this? I will find it at some point and I'll post it on our Facebook page, on Bloom's Facebook page. Um, so you're not, oh, no, it's, you are, uh, you're not um, responsible to relieve all the suffering in the world, but neither are you free to abandon the cause. The enormity of the world's grief isn't all on you. It isn't. We can't do that. It's not all on us. But we can't turn a blind eye to it. We can't ignore it. And when we do, we are doing the exact opposite <laughs> of what Jesus calls us to do. Um, so, that all being said, um, the question that I do have as I said, is, um, and the question that we're going to spend some time discussing is, what is the price tag on our compassion? What's the price tag on our goodwill and our empathy and our willingness to ease the suffering of others? So I'm going to um, close us in prayer, and then we'll get into that. God, thank you that despite the fact that we are flawed, despite the fact that we make poor choices and um, sometimes we are the cause of our own suffering and sometimes um, we don't make the best decisions with the help we, we receive, nonetheless, you always have compassion for us and you always have love for us. Help to build compassionate hearts within us that when we see suffering, our immediate urge, our immediate desire is to respond to, to ease, to speak to, and to offer to compassion and empathy to that suffering, rather than to decide whether it's justified or not. 
Help us to be more like you, Jesus. Help us to see through your eyes the humanity and the divine spark in all. And help us to respond to each other as though it was you who was in pain, you who was hungry, you who was thirsty, you who was naked. Amen.